Welcome to another Patreon preview for our Troy episode this time, where we recorded a whole nother show for the patrons. And I do think this is a good example of why we're doing these bonus shows, because we didn't get a chance on the main episode to get into the actual rediscovery of the actual city, Troy, which does seem like a big one, right? Like, I'm not sure we fully separated fact from fiction in the way we wanted. And having these uh, bonus episodes, it really gives us the space to get into anything we might have missed like that. So thank you again to our patrons. Uh, We probably won't put these bonus previews between every normal episode here on the main feed. You can find the full show and ones to go along with our other episodes this season at patreon.com slash realhistorypodcast. Thank you to you for listening and enjoy this bit about the rediscovery of Troy and we'll see you next time. Welcome to Footnotes and Fancies, a real, real history Patreon show. Uh, welcome back, guys. We just recorded an episode about Troy, and that's the main thing we're going to discuss today. We did record an episode about Troy. I don't remember anything I said, so... Good evening. You were extremely articulate, Mark, as doesn't, usual. Yeah, that's, yeah, that doesn't yeah, sound yeah, like me, but yeah, let's, yeah. let's go on. And this episode is to get into all the stuff that we left out of the main Troy uh, discussion. Yes. So I think one of the main things that we kind of missed out on was the rediscovery of Troy, the city. Which is just to say, yes, it's a real place. Troy is real. Maybe we need to patch this into the main app. It feels kind of significant. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, um, Well, it most certainly, we believe we found a place anyway, as did Heinrich Schleiman, as we will find out. Uh, But the, I suppose... What we're looking at, Mark went into it in the main es- episode, but we're we're looking at Western Anatolia, mm-hmm. um, an area that's sort of, I suppose, the mouth of the Black Sea, the Straits of the Dardanelles. So yeah. it's sort of a bridge, an area of the world that's a bridge between the Aegean, the wider Mediterranean, and then the Black Sea. So obviously a place extremely important for um, trade and, yeah. uh, and a great place to put a city. Brilliant place to put it. The, the land, the, the land sort of uh, gap, the sort of where, where if you look at a map now where Istanbul is, the Greeks used to call that the Hellespont, which is mm. which means the bridge to Hellas. And Hellas is Greece. That's mm. what the Greeks call themselves, the Hellenes. So so that, that area is just, there's a lot of traffic, uh, ship traffic. There's a lot of trade. There's a lot of merchants there's going into the, in and out of the Black Sea. So if you have a city... In a, in a position that can command trade from the interior to the exterior, you're going to be a wealthy city, which is how Troy, or Ilium as it's called in, 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 the, in the epic poem, um, that's how it's presented in the epic cycle. It's this great trade network, a very, very wealthy city, you know. And I suppose it was, Troy, the city, had been, it had been believed that it had been lost to history, essentially. Well, lots of people didn't think it was real. Yeah. Some people still don't think it's it's real, but but certainly it seems that there is this city or series of cities that are in the area that the poem suggests, and it, it, I I think academics would would say now that the destruction or one of the destructions of one of these cities is the folk memory that inspires the myth. Probably, if that makes yeah. sense, yeah, yeah, I think so. And but basically, the it's modern day Hisserlik, it's called Hisserlik. Um, yes. 
and it's western anatolia as we said um it's sort of this strategic location looking out onto the aegean um the city that they have now excavated hisserlik um is they believe it's been inhabited from from the early bronze age so it does tie in obviously with everything we were saying Troy, the the story of troy mm. and the iliad is is set in the late bronze age yeah um so Basically, the, the city had been well established before the events of the, the Iliad. Uh, they reckon around three thousand, maybe around four thousand years old. Yeah, yeah. It is the settlement itself, you know, um, and they believe this settlement survived up until um, around uh, the thirteen hundreds, until it was destroyed by an earthquake, and. Since then, though, so for the last, essentially, until it was rediscovered or apparently rediscovered, it was lost for the guts of six or seven hundred years. No one really knew where it was. And it became this, uh, I suppose, an obsession for some people. Like it's this this whole thing is very Indiana Jones and the Lost Star. Yeah. Um, You know, this character, Schliemann, is is controversial to say to put it to put it mildly a hundred percent this is not a uh, a sort of a normal archaeologist academic guy who kind of has a hypothesis and then looks upon this it doesn't know what happens here at all like, why not yeah. what's different about him well like i suppose as mark said like the city had been believed to be lost but like this story like we're still talking about it today i'm sure it's still going to be talk- spoken about in a thousand years if the world hasn't uh, imploded um, and because of that throughout history and you know over the last century as well in the western world people have you know been obsessed with this story and they have put many 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 kind of i suppose theories were put forward for where it was um and then in the basically in the 19th century so around 1873 you have a man called Heinrich Schleimann so he is a he was a German businessman and I would call him a dodgy archaeologist um he's like a used car salesman of archaeology yeah (laughs) yeah he's sort of like you know in the Indiana Jones movies in the Raiders of the Lost Ark you've got that French guy um, who's working with the Nazis. Is this, a, is this a point at which I should admit I've never seen the Indiana Jones movie? Oh, you never saw any? Didn't we have like oh, a Oh, Mark, they're about... actually good. Yeah. So <laughs> well, funny. some of them are good. I've seen bits of them. Like, I'm not, com- yeah. it's not completely alien to me or anything, but I, I've never. Well, yeah. you'll often see. Can you see go on in... in one episode about movies we need to force Mark to watch? Well, I didn't know Patreon. I'm actually it traumatized, you know. Mark with yeah, because you because you, lo- you love Indiana Jones. Oh, when I was a kid, yeah. Indiana Jones were my favorite films. They still are. Like, I'm. My young lad, my my kid, he wants to watch them already, and I recently only showed him the first fifteen minutes, and he loved that's, it. That's good. Fifteen minutes. The ending, maybe not so much. Yeah, I couldn't show him. See, basically, I couldn't show him anything that has violence in it. Yeah, so, course, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've already been drip feeding him. He loves PG the, he loves versions, the adventure, of and the, the yeah. car chase, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll have now, to watch. That's a Patreon episode in itself. Watching I'll, the Raiders yeah, this, of the Lost Ark. This isn't a thing where like I'm against watching it. No, you'll actually like these. Movies. I'm sure I would. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, I don't know in, why I've never seen it, but I just haven't. Yeah. Well, what you'll find in a lot of those movies is Indiana Jones. Sorry, but, sorry, sorry. Patreon episode, calling it right now Raiders of the Lost Mark. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> yes. Um, but you'll see in a lot of Indiana Jones, uh, a common trope is that Indy is trying to save 
um, important historical artifacts yeah. for museums okay. or for, you know, the wider humanity. Um, whereas he's often up against... It's a noble goal. Yes, he's up against sort of evil Nazis. Nazis, yes. Yeah, yeah. like basically treasure hunters who just want to, you know, make, make a quick book. Um, so this is when I was reading up about this man, the apparent... Rediscover the man who rediscovered Tri Hydra. Sorry, I have, a sound, I have a sound effect. I don't know if it'll actually come through, but yeah. oh, didn't really work. It belongs in a museum. Is it the belongs? I was in a trying. Museum. To, it's it's trying one of the best lines from Indy. It's it belongs in a museum. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, so we know what our next uh, footnotes and fancies is going to be. But anyway, when I was reading up about this rediscovery of Tri, I couldn't help thinking of one of these uh, essentially. Uh, evil uh, or not so much evil but one of the um, sort of bad guys from yeah. Indiana Jones Ill intent. Yeah. 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 Ill intent exactly so um, Heinrich Schleiman he was a German businessman um, he retired at the age of 36 because he made his fortune in the California gold rush nice nice work if you can get it there you go and um, when he was touring in the wrong century were we <laughs> well he did anyway, he loved a podcast back then though he, this True, guy yeah. Yeah, he, he loved the classics you know and he was obsessed so he spent a lot of his time touring. so he's not all bad is what we're saying <laughs> no 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 he was misguided maybe a lot of people love the classics. A lot of questionable people. That's very, yeah, yeah. That's, that's very that's true. true. Good yeah. point, Jacob. That's yeah. also true, yeah. um, but he basically was spending his retirement at the age of 36, traveling around all the great archaeological, archaeological oh sites of Amazing. Europe. Amazing. And uh, which, you know, sounds wouldn't mind doing that myself, yeah, to be honest with you. But um, anyway, uh, and on one of his tours, he met a British man called Frank Calvert, um, who actually owned l- land near this apparent site um, of His- Hiserlik in Turkey. Where people believed exactly. traditionally might have been Troy, yeah. So he owned half of it, and uh, he kind of, but he didn't have the money to pursue an excavation himself. Ah. But who had the money after all this gold rush cash fresh from California? Heinrich. So Heinrich basically went into business with Frank and they both said, look, let's try and find Troy, you know? Amazing. So the two of them headed off with, a, I think they had about 180 laborers. And where this gets controversial isn't that they had the noble goal of rediscovering <laughs> Troy. It's that they decided to use basically dynamite to find it. Um, <laughs> So they... What time period was this exactly? So when this was is this? the 18... So it's 1860s, 1870s. Sure, they used dynamite for everything back they then. They did, yeah. They this did. Is, this is the... In fairness, Put in yeah. your tonic to pep you up a bit, you know? <laughs> so, like, when you have the modern idea of archaeology... What's wrong with Jacob? Not enough dynamite in his orange <laughs> juice this morning. <laughs> uh, but when you think nowadays of archaeology, you think of, you know, Brushes. people with small... Brushes, incredible like levels of care and professionalism. And yeah, yeah. These lads, hell for leather, with pickaxes, shovels, and the odd throwing in a loud lump of, of dynamite, and that it tore this site asunder. They they dug this. It's called the Schleiman Trench. <laughs> and they dug, they, they dug oh, this no. massive trench through the heart of this. It was a, like a mound, mm. so to speak. Mm. Um, and the problem with that was. Heinrich wanted to find the try, Priam's try, so the try that is in the in Iliad. the Iliad. Yeah. And to do that Peter O'Toole's Troy. 
Exactly. In the tw- 2004 epic Troy, they they already saw it, uh, uh, you know, in oh. their vision, <laughs> how Brad Pitt would gleam in the sunlight. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and he wanted to find it, but he had no interest in any of the other tries. So we had a Roman try, you know, we had different civilizations uh, that had built one after the other on the destruction of the city. There was actually nine different levels. And, that, and, that, and that's like, that's quite a common thing. With, with, with ancient in that part ancient, of the world yeah, especially, especially yeah. in that part of the world where, yeah. where the first cities are like Turkey is where some of the oldest cities like Gobekli Tepe and places like that are mm. like the oldest cities to even can you even really call them cities but like multiple layers from different centuries different different millennia even on top of each other that's quite a common thing so you can imagine if they discovered that today the level of thought and care that would go oh, into yeah, how are we going to do this right uh, but the lads were like, no, we're in a rush against time. I want to find the Priam's treasure, yeah. which was in the Iliad. The, which seems like it would be very far down, given we're talking yeah. about... Yeah. And know, it was. The Bronze Age. <laughs> You're kind of wrecking a lot of stuff to get there. Yeah. Um, so Heinrich announced to the world in 1873, uh, and I will say gave no credit to Frank Calvert whatsoever. Um, that he had discovered Priam's lost treasure. And like, not, let's not like slag him off too much. He did discover some amazing artifacts. Like they actually moved over 8,000 different artifacts, whether that's gold, jewels, um, pottery, and stuff. pottery. They, they moved it out of Turkey <laughs> and moved it back to Germany. Like you do. Yeah. Uh, eventually it, it was... Uh, raided by the Russians when they took over uh, during the Second World War in Berlin and it's most of that treasure now is in Moscow. It's in Moscow, yeah. yeah. Uh, but at the time anyway, he said, I had discovered the, uh, I've discovered the treasury of Priam and that this is the hoard spoken about in the Iliad. But there was immediately, there was accusations because it you looked... Look on, that's some bullshit right there. You're just talking some shit like... Exactly. And it looked like he had covered up things. People were already criticizing his methods because, you know, he had literally just discarded eight or what what was seven other layers of archaeology above it. He had just discarded without a care in the world, you know. Mm. Um, So because of that, there was always uh, accusations that he essentially just his ego wanted it demanded that it was Priam's treasure. Mm. But in fact, it's later been, now that we're able to date these things, this treasure that he found is, is, is believed to be over a thousand years older than Troy. So it's actually early Bronze Age for what he, he, he found. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, we have discovered... So he blew his way through what he was looking for, potentially. Yeah, he 100% did. Yeah. And modern day archaeologists think that, you know, it's... It, it, that that the 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 try he claimed, which I think was try two, because yeah. there's basically nine levels, that is is no way is far older than what he actually believed. Yeah. But he became a celebrity in his own yeah. life. Uh, he went on to you spoke in the real in the full episode, Mark, about my my seeing my my senior, Yeah, he he also went on later to um, excavate. There and he apparently found us. Ag- yes, an Agamemnon's mask, yeah. which you know, there's accusations as well that that mightn't be. His no, mask either. yeah. Like, I mean, it's this is this is this is suggesting that Priam and 
Agamemnon were real historical figures, and it's because he wanted that. He wanted he wants the narrative to wants fit true, what yeah. he had discovered, and well, I suppose uh, it's a great lesson in, you know, reasoned, uh, reasoned, planned archaeology, yeah. and just letting people uh, essentially treasure and hunters and the, take over. Let the facts you know? guide the thing rather than what you want to be true guiding the facts. Like, you know, it's. But he, exactly. but he's also he he he's also responsible for a real explosion in popularity mm. of the classics in Germany and just in Europe generally at that time because he was a celebrity. As, as oh yeah. Like. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the classics became now they were popular already before with a certain class of people, but they became extremely popular in Germany around that time. And a lot of very very fine classes came, come from Germany came, came yeah. from Germany as a result of this, like you mm. know this sort of creating a sort of an interest in, in the culture there have we been able to like salvage any of the exploded bits to figure out like so, through carbon dating or piecing together the rubble maybe so there is like there is there is they do they have found evidence for some sort of a siege in, in on this in this settlement in history but you know it's not like it was a walled city. They have yeah, found there walls. Yeah, would have been sieges. <laughs> yeah, it's just like there's nothing definitive to say this is the try of 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 the Iliad. You know, that's the only thing. But no you know, big wooden horse, no. No big wooden horse. <laughs> Although I did like from I when I saw the film happy. that the film uh, the the people who put together Wolfgang Peterson's film gifted the wooden horse we see in the film. Uh, to the Turkish government. Did they? Yes. And oh, it, nice. it is now, I think it's close to the modern day city oh, that's of cool. uh, that's cool. Troy, which is a nice touch, you know? If you're wondering why a horse, like yeah. why, why is it a horse? It's the horse is a sacred animal of the god Poseidon. And so part of why they built a horse is because they, they it, this was to symbolize the idea that they were sailing home. Yes. As it was, so we're, uh, we're leaving and this is our gift to Poseidon to make sure that the weather is okay, the seas are okay as we leave. But of course they weren't leaving at all. Yeah. I feel like that's gotten jumbled. Like the, as I said on the main episode, the the horse is really the star. If you're like yeah. a kid learning this story, the mm. horse is what kind of sticks in your memory, and maybe the heel. But yeah, it's. I feel like it's gotten muddled. Maybe when you learn it that way, it's like, oh yeah, it was a it was a gift to the Trojans. Is like a version that I would have heard. Um, but like a gift to Poseidon makes more sense. Though I have to say, Poseidon, god of the sea, why not a seahorse? Like, what's with the why? Why a horse? Well, the horses, the horses are, are like a sacred animal to Poseidon going back to before he was assigned the sea as his realm. Mm. So the, 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 the gods, the gods in, in Greek myth are, are sort of assigned the realms that they control based on the fallout of the, what's called the, uh, the, the Titan War. Yeah. So, the, so the Olympians have this war against the Titans. The youngest son, Zeus, is, is, I know, I know. If that sounds weird. Like he should be the elder. He's the youngest son of of Cronus. He becomes the leader of the Olympians, and there's the three brothers, the three lead brothers, Zeus, uh, Poseidon, and Hades, and they between them agree who controls what. Poseidon gets the seas, Zeus gets the skies, and Hades gets the underworld, and that's why Hades becomes like the king of hell like or the realm is named after him it's not he wasn't evil to begin with or something like that he just gets assigned that and, and, and hermes is the trickster yeah yeah hermes is, <laughs> hermes is the messenger and the trickster element comes out of the idea that the message can be a lie mm. that's sort of what it is hermes is in some ways is sort of like loki 
Mm. He sort of has that trickster thing. Mischievous. There's different elements, obviously, to, to, to Loki. There's the whole, what did you call him? Ut- Utgard? Utgard Aloka. Utgard Aloka, yeah. yeah. Outside the, the guard. Outside the, outside the, the farm. Outside the, the farm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Outside of civilization, kind yes. of, is, is the thing, right? Um, that's not really true of, her, of, of Hermes, necessarily, but... but uh, the trickster thing is is in his, is a reference to his ability with words. Mm. He could he could mislead you, you know. Yeah. That's, that's sort of what that's about. But why horses? It's just it's just it's it's not to do with the sea necessarily. Poseidon just sort of gets assigned the sea, and he was known for loving horses. That's literally all it is. Like. Yeah. And it's funny because uh, we mentioned it briefly on the main episode, but uh, Cassandra, mm-hmm. who is left out completely of the story a daughter of prim yes and uh so a sister of hector and paris uh she is sort of a tragic figure um and you probably know a lot more about her than i do mark but like even you can call someone a cassandra today yeah. and it, it means somebody who prophesizes doom, doom yeah. but is destined for no one to ever listen to them you know the problem the problem is cassandra is driven mad mm. by her vision and because she's driven mad when she's really young, they don't believe her. So it's it's like the boy who cried wolf. Yeah. She's she saying, telling, don't let Paris come back to Troy. And she's also saying, don't let that wooden horse into, the, the, into horse the city in. as well. Don't right? let Helen in. Yeah. Don't, you know. But even, even I think Helen is an interesting character. Like Hel- Helen is the daughter of Zeus, which is, which is sort of, yeah. Helen's the daughter of Zeus. She is, yeah. So, right. so Helen's... So there's there's a there's do you know the concept of Gemini? Do you know, do you know that concept from like star signs? Like twins. The twin thing, yeah. The, the, so in Greek myth, there's two sets of twins. There's a uh, Castor and Polydeuces are the males, and then there's Helen and Clytemnestra. And the thing with the, in in the Greek myths about this is that um, there's a the king of Sparta is a guy called called Tyndarus, and Tyndarus is married to a woman called Leda, and Leda is beautiful and on her wedding night zeus this is really weird but zeus transforms into a swan because he always transforms into a, <laughs> an animal yeah yeah and he the way the myths phrase it lies with leda mm. but she has also it's her wedding night with indaris so she becomes pregnant by two different men right and the, and, the, and the result is that one of the children is divine and one of them is not Long before the days of paternity testing. Indeed. Yeah. So the divine twin is Helen, and the non-divine twin is Clytemnestra, and the sisters marry the Atreides brothers. So Helen marries Menelaus, and Clytemnestra marries uh, Agamemnon. Right. So the two brothers marry the twin sisters. So it all ties together. Yeah. yeah. And one of the reasons why they all agreed to go to the Trojan War in the first place is there was a massive competition about who got to marry Helen between all these various great kings and heroes. And part of the deal was that they would all agree that whoever was chosen to marry her would be defended by the other. So when she was then taken, they were all duty-bound. They had to go with women. Is that the whole basis of the alliance? Yeah. Because in the film, it's more like, you know, I've carved together this kingdom. My wife's not that important, you know? Yeah, it's not it. It's not really it. Like, Menelaus is not even from Sparta. He's, he's yeah. you know, because he's the younger brother of Agamemnon, but he gets the throne of Sparta by virtue of marrying Helen from Tyndarus, because Tyndarus doesn't have a male heir. So I love in the film where it's the opening scene and 
Paris and Hector are at the feast um, mm. with Menelaus played by um, Brendan, Gleeson. Brendan Gleeson downstairs. And you always know in a film that everything's going to go to shit whenever anybody toasts peace. <laughs> <laughs> eternal peace yeah. upon our kingdom. Eternal, eternal peace between Sparta and Troy. Yeah. And you just see Hector like literally like every five minutes looking up the stairs checking where Paris Where's is Paris, and going, yeah. oh, he's not up there with Helen again, <laughs> is he? Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I felt very sorry for Hector all through this film because he, he essentially got to have no fun. No. But had to take all the responsibility and protect the fatherland or whatever he, they want to call it. He's referred to in the Iliad as Hector the Tamer of Horses. Yeah. That's what they call him, yeah. He's just like famously for able to break horses, breaker of horses, and, and he's yeah. he's he's brilliant at like uh, leading cavalry charges. Now he's just this he's just yeah. this dashing heroic figure, like yeah. But he he's an interesting one because he because he became a, a figure of renown in medieval times, as a as a uh, an exemplar of of chivalry. Yeah, you know, and you can see you can for the see greater why. cause, like yeah. you know, sacrifice himself for Troy, like this this kind of thing, and and he really really very much stands in in opposition then to Achilles. Destroying everything out of rage, you know, it's, it's and uh, because he and as well, you see, with uh, Achilles, he's like you said before, he is he's governed by his emotions, absolutely, yeah. completely. And it's it's a big it's a big trope as well in in, in Greek myth, like the the idea of your fate, you can't escape your fate, like your fate mm. is even Zeus can't change fate, mm. you know. There's only really one time in all Greek myth where somebody kind of gets away with, which is Agamemnon's son Orestes. Um, I mentioned on the, on the on the main episode about the, the curse of the house of Atreides. The, that curse goes back to a guy called Tantalus, and Tantalus basically challenged the gods, and he played a trick on them, and they cursed him, like, and that your family were always going to suffer this kind of way. And then he had a son called Pelops, after whom the Peloponnese is named, and then Pelops' son is Atreus, and Agamemnon and, and uh, Menelaus are his kids. Agamemnon, in order to secure good favor in the winds and the seas, for the fleet to get to Troy, sacrifices his one of his daughters, Sac- mm. like kills her, like, and on the way to on the way to Troy, yeah. right? Okay, you mentioned that before, but I thought it wasn't the way home. The yeah, blood no, it was sacrifice. on the way. It was on the way to get to Troy, yeah. and that is why, or part of why, his wife murders him when he gets back. Yeah. It's mm. vengeance. But this is the curse of the House of Atreides. The, the, the curse is that the family out, members... If you bring out a thousand ships, you want to make sure the wind's blowing the right there. way. Yeah. yeah. That, that was his attitude. He's like, I can have another daughter. I can't get another fleet with a thousand ships. I was like, are we going to sack this city or what? Like, <laughs> you it's, know? it's funny as well that you talk about how fatalistic the Greeks were or Absolutely. they're portrayed to be because mm. it's, it's funny when you're watching the film, and I'm not sure if this is in the Iliad or not, uh, but when the two princes arrive back, now they've been sent to Sparta as peace envoys, mm. so that's their job, mm. you know, peace. And they're doing shit. They're job. doing the absolute opposite of what they're meant to do, yeah. And they triumph triumphantly arrive into Troy with you know uh, cheering crowds and vibrant color everywhere, and it's wonderful. But then they meet Priam, played by Peter O'Toole, and you would think he would be pissed off. You've mm. just brought essentially the wife of the. The, the king you were trying to make peace with you've just essentially stolen her yeah. or she's eloped or whatever and you've so you've you've done the complete opposite of what your mission was yeah. but he's really fatalistic and he's just like um 
oh well it's the it's the will of the gods the and gods, you're yeah. welcomed into my house like I was when I was watching I was like he took that surprisingly well yeah <laughs> well pri- pri- prime prime in 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 the, in the in the epic cycle generally is portrayed as a man of extreme sort of piety. Thank you.